1: Hi, and welcome to System Reboot, a podcast from Gizmodo where we dive into the systems that are failing us and explore realistic opportunities to create something better. I'm Brian Kahn, the managing editor at Earther.
0: And I'm Alex Kranz, senior consumer tech editor at Gizmodo. And today we're going to be talking about the election. Oh, yeah,
1: right. The the big thing that's happening Sorry, in the world.
0: for for our international listeners who already know about it because they've probably been inundated with it on social media. We're going to be talking about the American, the U.S. election, the presidential election.
1: Are there other ones? There I are other. This, was the only election. Yeah, this is the
0: only election. There are no other elections. That's what social media would have you believe. And we're we're really excited because. We're actually recording this the day of the election, so unfortunately we don't know who who won yet. But we are going to be talking with two fantastic reporters from Gizmodo who probably know more about social media and how it's affecting the election than either you or I do, Brian.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with two colleagues who we see every day in Slack, um, and it'll be nice to actually hear their voices for a change of pace. Today we're going to be talking with Del Cameron, who's a reporter that really focuses on civil liberties and, you know, internet freedoms, as well as Tom McKay who does a lot of work on Facebook and the horrible sites that we use every day to get information and the misinformation that can spread across them.
0: And however the election ends, however you're feeling about this, these two guys are going to be talking about what went wrong that affects everyone, not just one side or the other, and how we can make things better and how you can do something to make the next election just a little better and educate yourself, hopefully, right?
1: I think education is actually really important to understand. I mean, let's be real, like we're recording this the day before the election, we don't know the outcome today. Uh, we may not know it when you actually are listening to this episode, and there's probably going to be a lot of misinformation out there. And so our episode today is meant to be kind of a, a quick inoculation against some of that misinformation and to be prepared for whatever the next, you know, days, weeks, and months may hold as we try to sort out what is happening in this country.
0: Yeah, we're going to get you a little more literate about misinformation. Okay, so should we go talk to these guys? Absolutely. Dell, thank you guys so much for joining us. I, I hear you guys are very familiar with misinformation on social media related to polling,
2: oh, uh, related to pretty much everything having to do with the election. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, I know everything.
0: You know everything, Good. but but Great. Tom, how how intimately familiar are you with misinformation in social media in poll in like the election?
2: I, I I actually just got banned for posting misinformation about the uh, 2020 elections. So, <laughs> okay. I'm pretty pretty familiar. Pretty
0: familiar. Uh, I'm gonna. Why, why don't you tell us? So so why why have you been banned from Twitter? Uh,
2: for tweeting quote I love collecting overtime at the DNC ballot factory in Waukesha, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that seems just like. Probably not true because you're based not in Wisconsin. What? Why? Why did they ban you? Like, what? What? What was their their rationale for that? So, I think
2: uh, broadly speaking, um, actually, it's funny because I I tweeted that and it was an unfunny riff on one from 2016 where it was somebody that posted about how they worked at a post office somewhere yeah. and they were ripping up ballots. And since then, I guess I guess this is an example. Of four years later, I think that. A, there's a valid argument that uh, at scale, it's pretty much harder to, it's hard to read intent. It's hard to read humor. Uh, I don't know how much better they've actually gotten at that. But then B, I think that the volume has increased significantly and they're probably relying a lot on automated tools uh, to do this. So I, I would imagine that there was very little human intervention And involved in that process. I mean, it's entirely possible that a algorithm read that tweet, but yeah. So like
0: an algorithm just read it and saw like Wisconsin polling, DNC, DNC, ripping, and they're like, nope. Well,
2: yeah, (laughs) it's possible somebody also reported it. Uh, So it was me. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I did it. I reported the tweet, Tom. I'm sorry. I just couldn't (laughs) take your bad tweets anymore. I was like, I gotta get this guy off off Twitter.
2: Yeah, but I'm like, uh, sorry. I mean, I, I mean, I did. I fully deserve it. were so. you <laughs> suspended for? Uh, it was like twelve hours, uh, which actually I think is pretty short in Twitter terms. Uh, I, I, like sometimes it's like weeks. So, so uh, it seems t- like it like, really, like
3: three a.m.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> three a.m. You're gonna just wake up, pop up, and be like, "Yeah, I can start tweeting again." It seems like these 11-hour, these 12-hour bans are, are mainly for like people like you who are just kind of making jokes and stuff. Do they actually work for, for larger misinformation campaigns? Like people who are not just riffing and are actually out to misinform the public?
2: Um, I think that uh, typically what they're doing is they're going after uh, large organized things that often involve networks of fake accounts, Or maybe semi-legitimate accounts, uh, sock puppets, and yeah, I think that usually they just they just ban those entirely from the site. There's no appeal, probably. Or if they're because they uh, at that point you would probably be talking about Twitter security. As far as other stuff goes, like I, I imagine that they're pretty they're pretty swift about banning accounts spreading misinformation about the coronavirus posting outright uh, disinformation about voting such as like x and X poll site is closed or you know so I, I I think that that is usually they just go direct to banning people with that
0: okay so that's Twitter what about I guess Facebook is obviously the really big one that that you know, I'd
3: like to push back on like his claim that they're actively banning people for stuff like okay. that. I mean, I, I, maybe, I don't know, four weeks ago, there was a Trump campaign spokesman who claimed that the FBI found a bunch of mail-in ballots in a dumpster and tweeted that that was 100% evidence that, Demo- quote, Democrats are stealing the election. Mm-hmm. And that all turned out to be complete nonsense. And I, he ended up deleting the tweet. But, I mean, it, it got like 40,000 retweets before he did mm-hmm. it. The person who ran that ballot office had run for office as a conservative. Yeah. And they ended up announcing later that it was like totally by mistake. It's just kind of negligence, I guess, would be like the harshest term you could use for that. I mean, nothing happened to him. So.
2: I, th- I think it's a little different, though, when you're talking like established accounts that obviously belong to a real person, and then just uh, maybe just a, a sort of shady looking accounts that can't obviously be tied to a real identity.
3: Wait, are you the shady person or <laughs> the, uh, like, Trump? Available? Probably. <laughs> I mean, have we seen
1: Tom's account? Tom, Tom, can you tell the folks what's your what's your avatar right now on Twitter?
2: Uh, it's Mark Zuckerberg, uh, slathered in. I I guess, sunscreen.
1: (laughs) It's reef-safe sunscreen, (laughs) which is very nice. You know, as the earther person, I really appreciate that. Yeah, but but I think that does point to, you know, I guess some of the challenges here were, I mean, we know you, Tom. Like, we know you're, you're a cool, upstanding dude just making jokes online, but that is the challenge that I guess some of these moderators maybe have to deal with is that they don't know, you know, what is real and what is fake. So I guess, you know, I'm curious, like, in terms of this election, like, what we've seen so far... Has moderation been like good, bad, um, somewhere in between? Has
0: it improved
1: since? Yeah, 2016? I guess that's actually exactly.
0: Uh,
2: I mean, I think that they've uh, taken certain things more seriously, but I also think that there's a difference between taking it more seriously and being proactive about it. For example, you could look at QAnon, which Facebook has is now a lot more active about responding to complaints about things like extremist groups and stuff. However, usually what you see is that it's only after a problem has gotten totally and completely out of control. And that's when there's enough public pressure builds that they then respond to it. It's not like 2016 where Mark Zuckerberg was dismissive of the idea that Facebook was having an effect on the election at all. But I, I don't think that they're really being as proactive about Going after some of this stuff as they should be, I think there's some skepticism over how well they actually enforce those policy measures that they announce. Uh, I mean, for example, recently they Im- announced a ban on Holocaust denial, but we were looking through some of the groups, and there's still like there's still a number of well-known Holocaust denial groups that would be the first people you'd look up and ban. Um, that are still live on the site weeks later. So
3: I think the other the other important thing about that is that Mark Zuckerberg didn't make a decision to do that because he came to a realization that Holocaust denial was bad. his actual reasoning for doing it is that it's only now bad like he it's it's now it's bad to deny the Holocaust now worse than it ever before and it wasn't a thing you know six months ago. yeah, I mean, like Facebook has, Like Tom was saying, you know, after Zuck finally admitted that Facebook does have the power to influence voters, um, which is something he like denied after the 2016 election, it took some time for him to come to that realization while the rest of us were like, yeah, no shit. It's tended to like kind of largely focus its its anti-disinformation efforts on like Iran, North Korea, Russia. It makes a lot of big announcements about that. But there's a lot less focus on the disinformation domestically, some of it, which is really har- obvious. It's clearly very harmful, uh, including a lot of like the public health disinformation coming from the White House and people that support President Trump. And it's kind of, it, it, it took this like weird, like we're defending free speech stance for some reason for like a long time when that's clearly not true. I mean, it, simultaneously, they were banning. I don't know if it's like still a thing, but Facebook, for temporary, at least at one point, had banned like the eggplant emoji. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you can use the eggplant emoji there. I feel like I've seen it lately.
3: But there was some there was some announcement around that, and I, it, I mean, and there are plenty of other examples.
0: Well, yeah, like Instagram, they they continue to, to ban the nipple thing. Nipples. The yeah, thing. Mm-hmm. yeah.
3: So it's totally not about defending free speech. It's about what we want to do when we want to do it.
0: Right is. Are they more hesitant to, to do things in the United States than in other countries because they're based in the United States?
3: That would be their reasoning.
0: Yeah, um, yeah but I'll, I will push back on that
2: because I think that there have been people that have come forward. I think there was one whistleblower a couple months ago that worked on one of their safety teams that stuff that happens in foreign countries, uh, they often just ignore it. Like because it's not high on their priorities list. So, I mean, and also I think in a lot of places they don't have a lot of on-the-ground staff. You know, there's countries with millions of people where they probably have like a couple dozen employees, maybe a couple hundred, and I, I don't think that they can really... It, it's probably pretty hard to moderate under those conditions.
1: So with, I mean, what we have here in the U.S., I mean, like I said, you know, this Tuesday. We don't know the election results yet or how things are going to shake out. I mean are there things that you either of you will be watching for in the coming days to see if these companies are actually taking disinformation seriously um, as we sort of get into Lord knows what the next week you know is going to hold
3: yeah uh, I mean facebook's I, I think their current you know countermeasure is that they well about a week ago they banned new political ads. And that was kind of their deal. Like up into the election, they were going to ban any new political ads. What ended up happening is there was some quote unquote technical glitch that disappeared many of the Biden campaign ads, which like obviously the Biden campaign was not very stoked about. And of course they're going to like point people. I mean, if a candidate comes forward or a campaign comes forward and declares victory prematurely, they're going to attach some sort of like warning label to that and then point people towards like ABC or Reuters or AP and say like, here's where you can get real accurate results. I mean, unfortunately, like the particularly like Trump and and the GOP have spent much of the last four years telling people very specifically that social media companies cannot be trusted. And Mm -hmm. so what kind of actual, you know, step is that, that they're taking, they're going to like include a warning label on the president's, post no one's gonna read it another thing they're doing is pointing people to these like election specific websites they've created i don't know if anyone's seen the facebook one but it's it's like decorated and like like you gotta go look at it it's decorated at the top it looks like a kindergartner's like room with like election day stuff i mean i swear to god it's like no one's gonna take that seriously
1: i mean that's like their their climate science center is the same exact thing it's not a It's very credible as far as the information and not credible as far as the presentation. Yeah, I mean, the information's
3: good, but the presentation's bad. And also, you know, none of the, if President Trump comes out and says, I won the election, 99.9 of his supporters are going to just believe that. I mean, and, and they're not going to believe Facebook saying otherwise.
0: So the people who aren't necessarily supporters of one campaign or the other, who aren't, like, super inclined to just believe these folks out of the, at the drop of a hat, hopefully, which is a lot of our listeners who, who, who are a little bit more discerning, what can they be doing over the next few days, over the next week or so, to, to kind of fight this disinformation, both from receiving it and also, like, contributing to the spread of it?
3: I don't have any kind of answer for that question. <laughs> I mean, what, is, what, what can you do? I mean, it's, it's, you know, these sites are giant. Yeah. Um, I think people can talk to their families. I mean, I have a, uh, older people in my family who are on Facebook and more recently on Twitter who get bombarded with a lot of information. I had a relative come to me very recently and say that Twitter had hired Kamala Harris's, uh, spokesperson to, to decide which tweet Trump tweets should get Uh, censored or not, (laughs) which is like completely untrue. Um, Yeah. Some random person tweeted that and it got picked up by amazingly like a national review columnist. And then of course in the daily caller and a few other websites picked it up. It was just flatly untrue. Like some person who worked for Kamala Harris seven years ago, took a job at Twitter, completely unaware of the fact that she might be running for vice president (laughs) one day hasn't worked for the campaign or anyone since and has been in that job forever and has nothing to do with deciding whether which Trump tweets get like labeled just as mis uh, as misinformation. Like that's just not their fucking job. Yeah. And, uh, but here my, like, you know, a close relative of mine is like repeating that back to me, which is funny because I covered that story. I was making fun of the people <laughs> who and I was like, Oh and my God. It was God.
0: like your own, your own relative. Because we're, we're all in the media, so we're very accustomed to reading multiple sources, looking really in depth at at, at these news, uh, like how people get the big breaks and stuff they do when they're like, "Oh, I got a leaker." We want to see, we want to know all the details about how did you get that leak, like what was the providence of it, and so we're very accustomed to kind of interrogating the news more than the average person on system reboot we try to be very positive at the end of these things this was a, a deeply bleak bleak episode cuz it sounds like there really isn't a solution <laughs> like is there anything we can be doing should we be encouraging our congress people to to better regulate these these things is there or is it kind of like the new, the atom bomb the it's it's out there now it exists it's part of the internet is the internet
3: if you want to spend like another hour on this call we can talk about the efforts to regulate social media and, like, the misinformation around that, which has been pretty huge. Both yeah. me and Tom have been covering that for a while. <laughs> yeah. The only other thing I, th- I think we didn't, like, cover was, like, Twitter blocking a URL this week by the New York Post after, like, Hunter Biden lost 15 fucking laptops across the U.S. Some sort of weird, <laughs> Just, he like, cannot hold on
0: hunt. to his laptops. Tom Dell. I want to. I want to thank you guys so much. Even if you have deeply depressed me, uh, hopefully this is a lovely cathartic, depressing episode for everybody to listen to at home. It's kind of like a melodrama where you like to watch, <laughs> where you like to watch the people just experience horrible things. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I know you guys are very busy covering the election. I hope everybody continues to read y'all's incredible work covering the selection and the misinformation campaigns that, that just seem to pop out of Hunter Biden's laptops hourly.
2: Yeah, all 15 of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, guys, so much. Thanks. Bye, right, bye. Thank you for listening to System Reboot. It's hosted by me, Alex Kranz, and Brian Kahn. Our producer is Michaela Heck, and Jamie Colazzo makes the episode.
1: And our theme music is by Vincent Tremblay. If you liked what you heard, please, please, please like and subscribe our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It will help spread the word and allow other people to find the show.
0: Yeah, and if you have any other feedback, questions, or thoughts about what you heard today, you can hit us up. Tweet me at Alex H. Or you can tweet me at blcon. See you next week, where we will continue to talk about the election and hopefully be much more optimistic.